Would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 to 13 this morning. 2 Timothy 2 verses 8 to 13. Thank you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the chairs under the seats that you could use this morning. I'd like to read for us this passage as we begin. Chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, would you break the bread for us and help us to hear what it is that you want to say, words of encouragement, words of challenge, words that call us to action and to obedience. And I ask that in your name. Amen. Several years ago, on one of our family vacations, we went to see the battlefield at Gettysburg. Uh, We had three boys and the movie Gettysburg had come out and they had watched that and I had watched that with them and I was interested to see this place that was so significant in American history. But I had no idea of the impression that it would make upon me to be there. It is an awesome and sobering place to visit. The battlefield at Gettysburg is one of the most revered places in America Uh, It's kind of like Ground Zero where the World Trade Center towers stood or like the memorial uh, in Hawaii where Pearl Harbor is. It's one of those sites that when you visit and you understand the history, you get this sober feeling, this awesome feeling of what took place on this site and how many fought and died. The battle at Gettysburg took place on July 1 to 3 in the year 1863. It'll be 150 years ago this summer. 165,000 men fought in that battle and almost 50,000 of them were killed or wounded. About one-third of those who fought were killed or wounded in that battle and it was equally divided between the north and the south. They fought for three days, and when the smoke cleared, there were more dead on the battlefield than all of the citizens that lived in Gettysburg. And if you've ever been there, you know that there are monuments all over that field to the different troops and battles that were fought there. And one of those monuments is of a Union soldier you see on the screen running into battle, and it is the Minnesota Monument. And this is their tale. On the second day of the battle, a gap developed in the Union line. As troops were advancing, an Alabama brigade saw the weakness and rushed to break through it. And the Union General Hancock saw the trouble, and he ordered a single small regiment that had been held in reserve to counter the charge and to stop them. 
It was the 1st Minnesota Regiment. And a survivor from the battle wrote that every man realized in an instant what the order meant, death or wounds to us all. The sacrifice of the regiment to gain a few minutes' time and save the position. And this small force from Minnesota, just 262 men, charged across the field with fixed bayonets at the 1,600 oncoming Confederate soldiers. And the astonished Southerners fell back, and the gap in the Union line was closed. But only 47 of the 262 men survived unhurt. 82% of them fell in less than five minutes. The highest percentage of casualties taken by any regiment, any Union regiment in the Civil War. Why did they fight? Why were they willing in a moment to put their life on the line to suffer and die? Why would they do that? Well, there are many reasons we could think of. They fought for their country. They fought to preserve the Union. They fought for freedom to free those who were held in slavery. Some fought perhaps for personal glory or fame. But they also fought for their homes and their families. One thing is certain, though, that they all fought for what they believed in. And to this day, their courage and suffering is still remembered. Well, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy encourages all of us to bring that same courage and dedication to our faith. Being a Christian isn't something that we should take lightly. It isn't something that we should say, oh yeah, I believe, and then go and live as we want to. No, being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, calls us to obedience. To serve him, to love him, to give him everything that we have. Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord, but join me in suffering for the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 14, he said, Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, verse 1, he said, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 3, he said, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Some might ask why. Why should we put our faith on the line, whether it's at school or at work or in the community? Why should we risk sharing our faith or taking a stand for Christ that may not be popular today? Why should we do that? Why should we live a godly life in an ungodly world? Why should we sacrifice our time and our money if no one else is doing it? How do you think Paul would answer that question? Well, he answers that in this passage by encouraging us to remember three things. Number one, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. This is the only time in this letter that he mentions Jesus' name in that order, Jesus Christ. And all the other times when he's using it, he's talking about Christ Jesus. And he turns it around here because of what he is about to say. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. He wants us to remember his suffering, his death for our sins, and his resurrection. 
He wants us to remember that this is Jesus, the one who came to earth to suffer and die for us. And he is our greatest example of courage and suffering. If anyone ever put his life on the line for someone else, it was Jesus who did that when he died in our place and he bore the wrath of God. Timothy, remember Jesus and think of what he did for you. And he also wants us to remember his authority. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. He's the one who was descended from David. He is the Son of Man, the Son of God. He's the King and He is Lord. Or to use the military metaphor, He is our commanding officer. And what He asks us to do, we are to obey. When He gives the order, just like that regiment that said, we'll go, we are to go and follow what He asks of us. And Paul says, this is my gospel, short and sweet. And I think Paul is writing here in shorthand. He does that in different places, just like uh, before communion when I read the passage from 1 Corinthians 15. You know that this is what I deliver to you as of first importance. Christ died, he rose again. You know, he, he cuts to the heart of the gospel. And he doesn't have to tell Timothy everything because Timothy's heard him preach on many occasions. He's heard Paul explain the gospel and who Jesus is and what he did for us. And he understands what Paul is saying here. This is my gospel. It's all about Christ. It's about what he did for each one of us. Timothy, remember. Remember his suffering. Remember his glory. And keep preaching the gospel. Paul says, this is why I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. You remember Paul had done nothing wrong, nothing that deserved being put in prison. It was Nero who had set Rome on fire and burned it and needed a scapegoat, and Paul was one of those Christians who were arrested and accused of this kind of malevolence against the city and the empire, accused of being an enemy of the state, and so here he was in captivity. But Paul doesn't wallow in self-pity because he knows that the Word of God cannot be chained. Remember when he was in prison in Rome the first time, he wrote to the Philippians. We read it here if you want to put that up. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul saw what his imprisonment had done, that his courage, his willingness to lay his life on the line actually emboldened other believers to do the same. And the gospel was running to the ends of the earth. Paul understood that salvation is entirely a work of God from beginning to end. His imprisonment was not a hindrance to the gospel. God could save people with or without him and with or without us. God was at work, and his word would accomplish its purposes. In the 1930s, Joseph Stalin ordered a purge of all Bibles in the Soviet Union. 
and all believers. And in Stavropol, Russia, this order was carried out with a vengeance. Thousands of Bibles were confiscated. Multitudes of believers were sent to the gulags where many of them died for being enemies of the state. And after the fall of communism, the missionary organization, Commission, sent a team to Stavropol. We actually had a person from our community who worked with Commission and was involved in this area. The city's history was not known to them at that time. And when the team experienced difficulty getting Bibles shipped from Moscow, someone mentioned that there was a warehouse outside of town where the confiscated Bibles had been stored since Stalin's day. And after prayer, one member got up the courage to go to the officials and ask if the Bibles were still there. And they were. And then he asked if the Bibles could be removed and distributed again to the people of Stavropol. The answer was yes. A truck was obtained and several Russian people helped load the Bibles. One of those helpers was a young man who was skeptical of the gospel. He would call himself an agnostic, and he had come only for the day's wages. That was the only reason he was there, to help load Bibles. But as they were loading the Bibles, he disappeared at one point. And when someone else went to look for him, they found him in a corner of the warehouse, weeping. He had slipped away, hoping to quietly take a Bible for himself. And what he found shook him to the core. The Bible that he picked up to take, when he opened it up and looked inside, there was the signature of his own grandmother. It had been her personal Bible. And this woman who had suffered so much for her faith had probably prayed for him and prayed for the city in which he lived. And out of all the Bibles in that warehouse, that was the one that he had found. God's Word cannot be changed. It will change. It will accomplish all that He intends. Remember Christ Jesus. Remember the power of His Word. But Timothy, I also want you to remember something else. I want you to remember His people. And we see that in verse 10. Paul says that I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I am suffering these things for the sake of the elect. Those who will believe in Jesus, those who currently believe in Jesus, and those who will in the future. Those who are chosen by God for salvation. Timothy, we suffer for them that they might be saved. That they might know Christ and the hope of eternal glory. What Paul writes there, that conviction is what drives all true missions and evangelism. We take the steps of faith we do. We give the gifts in our offering that we do so that others might come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Others risk their lives to bring us the gospel. And now it is up to us to be that generation that will help others come to know Him. That's why people leave at times homes, families, to go to another land to live and to work and to serve so that others might come to know Christ. Because how will they hear unless someone tells them? God can communicate the gospel through visions and dreams. We've seen that in our own generation. We see what He's doing in the Middle East. 
and he always reveals his glory through creation. There's no place where his voice is not heard, where men cannot recognize the glory and the eternity of God through the world that's been made around them. But God, in his normal means of communication, uses the word of God and the people who know him, and that is us. There is a general revelation that all men can see, but there is this special revelation, the Word of God, the person of Christ, the work that He is doing that we need to declare in the Gospel. So do you, do you want your friends to know Jesus as their Savior? Then tell them the Gospel. Do you want your family to be together for eternity? Then tell them the Gospel. You know, when I think about my own family, I think I've shared the gospel with just about everyone in our extended family as I have had opportunity. And some have come to know Christ and others have not, and I am still praying for them that they might be saved. We can't control the response of other people, but we can share the message, and that's our calling. To be that kind of witness in this world who takes the good news to those who do not know Jesus. And I know that sharing the gospel can be difficult. Sometimes we're afraid of what others may think, and so we may hold back. And sometimes we're concerned, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? Or what is it exactly that I'm to say? And that's why we want to help you to know that, know how to answer questions, know how to communicate the gospel clearly so that you can do that. And frankly, when it comes to our fear, we need to get over it. We need to remember what's at stake, heaven and hell, life or death. And the truth is, we have it easy compared to believers who have lived under oppressive governments in other places. And there are brothers and sisters today who are being persecuted for their faith, who are still taking the risk to share the gospel with those who do not know Christ. I want to tell you the story of a man named Joseph Zahn, who was a pastor in Romania, before the fall of the Soviet Union. And Romania was one of the most oppressive, brutal countries when it came to harassing and hindering the Christians who were there. Joseph Zahn was arrested, tortured, threatened with death many times. And finally he came to that point where he just surrendered his life to Christ and said, Lord, whatever happens, I'm yours. I'm yours. And so one day when he was held in prison and he was being interrogated he told his investigator and he said sir your supreme weapon is killing but my supreme weapon is dying my sermons are on tapes all over this country and when I die all who listen to my words will know that I died for them my preaching will speak ten times louder after you kill me And in exasperation, the interrogator replied, Mr. Zone, you would love to be a martyr, but we are not such big fools that we will fulfill your wish. Get out of here. And they let him go. And Joseph Zone took his stance as a 39-year-old professor at a seminary in Bucharest in 1973. The Lord had impressed upon him the danger of giving in the Lord showed him that he needed to step into the fight or others would be silent too. But he needed his wife's support. 
And he told her about his plans and he said, I want to see a new generation stand up before the Lord. A generation that is not afraid to preach the gospel and possibly die for it. And if we can model that, then others will do it and we will win the victory. Well, Joseph and Elizabeth surrendered their lives to Jesus to use them as he wished. He said, it was interesting that when I was fearful of losing my life, I was intimidated and didn't want to say anything. But when I surrendered my life to the Lord and gave him all, freedom came and revival came to Romania. And the walls of communism came tumbling down. We need a new generation of teens and young adults who will preach the gospel without fear to this generation. And I think of those of you that are seniors that we recognize today. You are part of that group. And how will you use your life? What is it that you are going to do? Some will go into ministry full-time. Some will go into other vocations. But we are all in this full-time calling to serve Jesus Christ with our gifts, our talents, to the best of our ability. And my prayer is that you'll be part of that generation that will stand up for Christ and preach the truth of the gospel. Thirdly, remember his promises. Remember his promises, and we see that in verses 11 to 13. Paul quotes here what was very likely a well-known hymn that contained biblical truth. It's not a quote of Scripture, but it is a hymn that they sang in their churches or that Timothy knew that emphasized this biblical truth. And so he quotes it and he says if we died with him we will also live with him and what he's talking about here died here means dying to self it's like galatians 2 20 when paul said i have been crucified with christ and it's no longer i who live but it's christ who lives in me paul had come to that point where he had died with jesus given him all and he says if we die with him we will live with him he tells us if we endure we will also reign with him. Jesus gave that same promise to the churches in Revelation. He said in Revelation 2.26, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And again in chapter 3 verse 21, he said, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit on my throne, or to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father, on his throne. I mean, think about those promises. That's, that's staggering to me. I mean, this isn't some like local city council saying, if you do really well, we're going to have you sit on the city council. This is the king of all kings who is saying that if you overcome, if you endure with me, if you stay with me to the end, the day will come when you will sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. There's no greater honor. There's no greater privilege or reward that we could be given than to know that we have eternal life and we will join with him in that day. But Paul also gives this sobering statement. If we disown him, if we deny him, he will also disown us. And what he's talking about here is apostasy. 
about those who had professed to know Christ, but who when things got tough turned away, or those who had fallen back, or those who turned away from the gospel, they had heard it, they may have even professed to believe it, but they rejected Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, that whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Those are indeed sobering words. And we see what's at stake here. Will we stand with Christ to the end? Will we give him our best? Or will we turn away? And what does that mean for eternity? And finally, Paul writes, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. If we are faithless, and what he means here is weak in faith, and we all are at times weak in faith, aren't we? He will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Apparently, even Peter's denial was in this category. If we truly belong to him, if we have been born again by his Spirit and we belong to him, even when we falter, what Jesus is saying is he will remain faithful to his word and to his promises and to us. And he will give us the strength that we need or he will restore us. That truth would be a great encouragement to believers going through persecution because there would be those who would be fearful there would be those who would be concerned about their life and how would the church handle that and what would they do and what Paul is saying here is that Jesus will be faithful to us if we truly belong to him many years ago I led a Bible study at the nursing home in the area where there was a man named Virgil who came to our study. I think it was Paul had introduced me to Virgil. He probably remembers him too. And, and Virgil was a man who had gone to church during his life, but he wasn't sure of his salvation, and he was fearful of dying. And whenever I saw Virgil, he was always kind of concerned about that and worried about that. And one day I sat down with Virgil, and I shared the gospel as clearly as I could. And I explained that our assurance is not based upon what we do, but upon Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And I said that if you would open your heart to Christ and invite him to forgive your sins and be your Savior and Lord, he'd come into your life and he would do that and he'd never leave you nor forsake you. We read from the Bible, we talked about God's promises and he prayed to receive Christ that day. He continued to come to the Bible study that I led there and I remember seeing him one day he had grown quite weak. In fact, it would be just two days before he died. And I met with him that day, and you know what he wanted to talk about? He wanted to talk about heaven and the glory to come. He wanted to talk about the passing away of all our trials and suffering and seeing the wonderful presence of Christ. And we prayed together. And I thought of how God's word gives strength to even the weakest of saints. God's word is what we need to get us through the trials that we face. So brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord 
Remember Jesus Christ who suffered and died for you. Remember his church, the saints who have gone before you and those who will follow after you and be faithful because they are looking to your example as well. And remember the promises of Scripture that if we died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture that speaks so powerfully to who you are and to what we need. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to meet the challenges that we face, be they spiritual or physical or emotional, be they needs in our family or extended family or in our own life that we are wrestling with. God, you are all that we need. And thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you'd like to. Would you just surrender your heart to him and say, Jesus, would you forgive me and come into my life and be my Savior and Lord? And he will do that for you. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. Father, I pray that you would bless your people today and encourage each one who is here and help us to live for you with courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we did not have a closing song today. We uh, kind of planned it that way, knowing we had an additional element in the service this morning with the high school recognition. So what I'd like you to do is just stand, and I'm going to dismiss you with these words as our benediction. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.